Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door. I'm excited today, Nick Shalna. How are you doing? I'm excited too. That's great. For the universe next door. I am excited to be a part of the universe next door. And yet, I'm next door, so how can I be? Well, uh, we're both in it and uh, learning learning about it and exploring its wonders and the details that give very clear testimony to the creator behind the universe, above and beyond. But the same creator has descended and become one of us, become uh, human in the person of Christ, has taken on our our waywardness and rebelliousness upon his own shoulders, paid for it, and uh, in his act at the cross, laid down his life as a substitute for you and me. And that is great news for a lost world that can become found in the arms of Christ. So we're thankful that we can be presenting the case for Christianity, the case for the biblical worldview, as opposed to the array of competing worldviews out there which include Hinduism, you know, Eastern pantheistic monism. That's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, such interesting worldviews as the, even the Mormon or Jehovah's Witness, you know, that uh, claim to be the one true way, claim to use the Bible, but they have their own special interpretations and additions. Uh, we're excited to be able to present the case for Christ and to be able to do that in not only with science, which is kind of our specialty, but with all kinds of reasons, all varieties of evidence that seem to be not only very strong, but mounting. They're pouring in, they're adding up. So the vault of evidence uh, for the Christian faith is overflowing. I think we need 3,000 vaults. What do you say? Yeah, John thought so, too. He said uh, that it'd be... Okay, you mean the Apostle John? <laughs> the Apostle John. All right, yes. The whole world couldn't fit. Uh, I love it. Bing, ding, ding, ding. A thousand bonus points to Nick Shalman. So today, we're going to be talking about some of the really, really exciting things that are coming out of the world of science. We're going to try to relate science to Scripture, science to Christ, because there's that nexus, there's that tight connection, which the Scripture itself gives to that uh, loving harmony between science and the person of Christ. Uh, he is the creator of nature. Uh, Colossians 1, verses 16 through 18, speak of all things as created in him, for him, and by him. And we even see in Hebrews a very elegant description of the entire universe as created by Christ, and then he sustains it. That also, of course, that idea is found as well in Colossians 1. But Hebrews 1 says the, the world, the universe, the cosmos that he made is held together and sustained, supported, kept in running order by the will and the brilliant uh, control of Christ. And, of course, we find in John 1 that he is the logos, he is the intelligence, he is the message. And he is the, the the bottom line discovery in nature. I was reading uh, Nick about the um, you know the work of a guy named Harrison. Um, I believe it was published by Cambridge University Press. But Harrison's work actually ties the the launch of science to the breaking forth of the Protestant Reformation. Wow! Because when people began to analyze texts of Scripture, looking for the authorial intent. 
mm-hmm. the intent of God, the Holy Spirit, alongside the intent of the human author. Those, as it were, as it were, a dual authors, God and and the human author of any given book, had an authorial intent, an actual discoverable meaning. And so the ability to look at the details and analyze them and come up with a valid conclusion, that discovery, that excitement, that investigation uh, flowed right over into investigating uh, the, the material world. Isn't that cool? That is very, very cool. Yeah. And so Cambridge University Press uh, stuck their neck out a little bit in publishing this. But uh, maybe I can feature that uh, when we have one of our historic, you know, the, our, our history focused programs here this next month or two. But today our focus is a little bit uh, on DNA, but it's mostly on fossils because I want to mention that we just passed uh, kind of a annual time, kind of a, a little bit of a holiday, although it's not really made into a U.S. holiday, but it's DNA Day. So did you did you uh, go out and party on DNA Day, uh, April 25th? Oh, you- yeah, I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> Well, partying, you know, kind of in the Christian sense, I guess maybe we could just uh, sing hymns and, and kind of worship songs about the God. Is the DNA celebrating or are we celebrating the DNA? Well, you know, the DNA in our body enables us to celebrate. But we are both. Yeah, all the above, back and forth, up and down. So what we're trying to do is just mention that there is a special relationship that our sister organization, DNA and Beyond, it's a nonprofit uh, incorporated here in the state of Florida, but they uh, do produce a model, and we've 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 worked with them. Uh, the C.S. Lewis Society has been kind of like a sister organization. We we ex- emphasize that kind of the God message coming out of it, and the DNA and beyond people. They emphasize the science side, but they're they're good friends. Uh, we collaborate with them, and they have an announcement to make, and that's Nebraska Scientific. Doo-doo! Yeah, I don't know. I have that blaring fanfare of trombones and trumpets come through on this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the Nebraska Scientific Organization, it's actually a company based in, surprise, surprise, Nebraska. And they have been one of the world's leading, uh, how shall I put it, you know, warehouses and like catalogs. They actually print a catalog. It's also online. And you can, you can go there, NebraskaScientific.com, Nebraska Spell out the whole name of the state, followed by scientific.com. And if you just, in the search bar, put DNA or dynamic DNA, it'll bring you right in to the uh, picture of the model. It's the one that was produced by our friends at DNA and Beyond. And it is offered for a special, wonderful rate. Normally, it's uh, with it, with all the bells and whistles, the extra brown and clear tubes that go with it and the methyl tags. And normally, you know, retails for, I think, close to 150 So it's available for $99. It is a lifetime educational toy. It's a model that is, uh, I have seen kids three and four and five years old swarm around it, want to play with it. And they're learning even the structure and function of DNA at that early age. And of course, for elementary kids, they love it. And then for junior high and high school, they go crazy. Because the whole teaching system is is quite, I think, wonderful that they've come up with. Would you agree? Yeah, and that's what's so cool about it. You can use it for kids, for a youth group, but you can also use it in a, a college classroom. Yeah, multi-purpose, multi-level, oh, yeah. and and you can you can make it basically make it as as wonky and advanced science as you want. But so there's just a kind of a heads up uh, if you're interested in a kind of a maybe stocking up now for that perfect. Uh, Christmas present or you know could be a birthday present for the person in your life could be an uncle could be a daughter or son 
who loves science, who loves learning about you know evidence for design in living things, you can actually have a 21-rung twistable. You can actually see uh, Nebraska Scientific has the connectivity right to the demo. It's a two-minute DVD, uh, rather two-minute uh, YouTube video. And so just a little kind of a heads up. It's not too late. We're going to extend the, the party time for 30 days. Okay. <laughs> DNA Day was April 25th. So the offer uh, of $99 is a special introductory offer, and I think it will extend for at least 30 days through May 25th, maybe maybe beyond. But that's uh, at NebraskaScientific.com. And, of course, don't forget to visit our own website, apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org where we have a whole series of over 100 now powerful, hard-hitting videos, uh, all geared to teaching and, and exciting, uh, sharing exciting news in the area of apologetics uh, from every conceivable angle, from every area of evidence. That's pretty, pretty amazing. So today we want to take a look at our grand source, our massive, uh, newly published go-to book. It's called Theistic Evolution. And it's a critique of theistic evolution. It's a very measured, well done, I mean, high, high quality critique. It has over 30 authors. Uh, it's a book that, uh, let's see, it's got a little over 900 pages. But it's one of the best, you know, we don't carry it in our bookstore uh, because it's just, you know, kind of a special item. But uh, you can get this on Amazon, Theistic Evolution, forward by Steve Fuller. Isn't that a bit of a shock? Do you know who Steve Fuller is? I don't know too much about Yeah, okay. Steve Fuller actually is a guy who's, although he's secular, he doesn't claim to be a Christian at all. I think he was raised in in a nominal Christian home and turned away, became a geeky, wonky superstar (laughs) expert on how science works. He's in England. But uh, he's a friend of ours. Uh, Again, even though he doesn't um, know or, or have any commitment to the Lord, this one thing he is convinced of, that Darwinian theory is on the way out. Wow. And so to have a guy of his stature teaching all around the world the the incredible um, rigor and vigor and relevance of intelligent design theory as over against Darwinian the Darwinian uh, monopoly in the in the academic world Steve Fuller does a incredible job of launching this book. I mean, I would buy the book just for Steve Fuller's forward. No, oh, wow. Because he doesn't he doesn't carry any pro-Christian or, you know, kind of mm-hmm. fun people, you know, sneer, oh, this is just fundamentalist nonsense. The scientific critique. Yeah, his is totally scientific in the best sense of the word scientific. He's bringing the whole realm of philosophy of science, history of science, sociology of science, how science really works. And so his his opening is fantastic and that's just kind of like to uh, function like an appetizer for the whole book. So what I'm doing is I've actually been enjoying this book for a series of talks I'm doing in Atlanta uh, here in the next few days. Um, if you're interested in hearing about the, the exact time slot, um, uh, be, 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 uh, feel free to contact us at information at apologetics.org. Uh, those will be well, at least one of the two talks. They're basically two locations. They will be filmed, and we can give you kind of the link to the video uh, as soon as it's posted. But my my talk, which will be entitled Darwin's Last Stand, Darwin's Last Stand, and the subtitle is New Evidence That Shatters the Credibility of Evolutionary Theory. New Evidence That Shatters the Credibility of Evolutionary Theory is drawn uh, to a large extent from this incredible breakthrough book, the one that I'm referring to, Theistic Evolution, 
And the subtitle is A Scientific, Philosophical, and Theological Critique. Well, that's a big big name for a big book. Now, the chapter that I want to talk about today, uh, spend the next uh, 10 or 12 minutes just going over some of the highlights, is a chapter called The Fossil Record and Universal Common Ancestry. Now, what is... We, we know about the fossil record. That, that's kind of uh, a tabulation of everything we're, we're learning from the rocks that have the imprint of bones or teeth or hard parts. And sometimes in, in very, very fine-grained, um, you know, sandy environments, you can actually have, even get the soft parts of an animal nowadays. But the hard parts uh, leave an imprint, and you can see sort of, more or less, what the structure of that animal was like that suddenly then uh, blips or pops into the fossil record. So, um, universal common ancestry. Uh, Nick, I know that you teach in the area of apologetics to, to youth, high school, mm-hmm. you know, maybe college as, as, as well in some contexts. But, I mean, if, if I were to ask you, uh, you know, what is the Darwin's theory? Would you not agree that the idea of the unified tree of life, this picture of common descent or universal common ancestry, is still taught in the public schools? Oh yeah, yeah, and they and, yeah. and 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 they really don't spend much time proving it. They kind of trot out a few things as, as if it's implied. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's almost built in. Yeah, uh, uh, they don't even bother to to say, "Oh, this proves universal common ancestry." They take it as a given. They they take it as something that, well, of course, everyone knows that to be true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and if you don't, you know, you're one of those kind of people. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a slam against uh, anyone who would doubt. The, the tree of life. Well, the tree of life uh, is the, the thesis, the idea that all animals contain uh, those indicators in, the, in their DNA that shows that you, Nick Shalna, are a distant relative to a giraffe or further down to a crab scrambling along the rocks. A slug. Of, a slug. <laughs> Broccoli. Broccoli. <laughs> How about the bacteria in your gut? Yeah. So when you talk to your your gut, you can say hi. Yeah, we do. Cousins, that. Yeah. distant cousins. <laughs> uh, this is, I mean, this is a, a. How shall we put it? It is a very daring and feeble, very vulnerable hypothesis. Daring and the crazy in in the sense that it 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 claims a lot. It claims that every living thing, if you traced back their ancestry. Without even sending off, a, you know, a smidgen of DNA to 23andMe. <laughs> so if you trace back their, the ancestry, you would find out that, whoa, we really did once live in the mud. You know, or we once did, if we, you know, our great, 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 great grandmother was actually a fish. Whether it was a shark, a perch, you know, whatever it was. And then they, with internal bony structures, evolved from those you know, invertebrates, those non-chordates that had an external skeleton. Oh, wait wait a minute. How did the external skeleton suddenly fade away and then this bony internal structure? Mm-hmm. Oh, our best people are working on that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We don't have the answer quite yet. So what I want to do is I want to zoom in on what Gunther Beckley, who was uh, an atheist for many, many years, I think about 20, 25 years, and then he began reading the works of intelligent design theorists like Behe, uh, like Dembski, like Meyer. And then over a period of about five years of reevaluation and many, many scientific shocks along the way, he found that he had to abandon both his uh, macroevolution views 
and and somewhere around the same time his views that god was just a figment of uh, primitive people uh you know imaginations of people along the way that is sort of retained in our modern age he came to believe in god as the creator of all things wow so gunter beckley a top expert in the fossil record of dragonflies and like renowned not only in germany as homeland but throughout the world teamed up with steve meyer and they make the the interesting case that basically i'm going to sum it up you think the cambrian explosion is bad news for the common ancestor of all things you ain't seen nothing <laughs> i think that's the first time in 10 years i've used the word ain't <laughs> that felt so good <laughs> i got it out of my system let me try that again you think the Cambrian explosion down down there at the 540 million year? I'm just saying, you know, these are the dates that are given. Not, I'm not trying to defend or critique. They are what they are. Okay, so the 540 million years, all these major life forms suddenly pop into the fossil record without any transitions, without any intermediates. They just kind of burst onto the scene, da da, and then they stay the same. They don't they don't change. They don't morph. They don't evolve. They just stubbornly stay the same. So the, the scientific evidence is directly contrary. To Darwinistic. Say that you. That was very Darwinian. well put. Say that one more time. <laughs> what did I say again? The scientific, the scientific evidence, evidence of, is of fossils of the yeah of the fossil record is directly contrary to uh, Darwinian evolution. That is absolutely. That's the scientific evidence. That is absolutely. Yet true. we're we're inclined to believe it anyway. Just yeah, don't question it. Just, don't question just, it. Just believe it. We'll yeah. figure it out one day. So what they're saying is, yeah, Cambrian explosion, pivotal, monumental mind-blowing everything in the cayman explosion is turning worse and worse more and more difficult for the darwinian uh side of of explanatory um you know attempts now they say let's look at the other phases the other kinds of transitions the other explosions that happen after the cambrian so i'm just going to trot out in the remaining uh, six minutes or so some of these amazing examples so one of them is the Archaean genetic expansion, Archaean ex- genetic expansion, those are weird uh, creatures that uh, suddenly come into existence that can resist uh, awful alkaline or acidic environments. They can resist high temperatures. They can thrive with heavy salt uh, concentrations. In other words, the rigorous, tough, almost impossibly uh, difficult modes of of, of life or you know environments in the world they say "Ooh, throw me in there <laughs> <laughs> this is the ultimate arnold schwarzenegger you know the the i mean i i just you know that yes i can do anything <laughs> i've never attempted to mimic him before and it's i pretty probably good. Would, never will again was... okay uh well if that's bad you know the sudden appearance of archaean bacteria how about the avalon explosion avalon precedes the cambrian and that's where all these interesting, strange uh, fossils that look like feathers, that look like uh, mattresses, air mattresses, basically in the form of, of a feathery, elongated, uh, f- and, and the fossils of them are really hard to figure out. Sprigina, Charnia, Kimberella, uh, and I can go along. Uh, there's one that's called Tribrachidium. It's like a fossilized frisbee that just sat on the ocean floor. And it had a, like a, an, a something like a swastika on top, three-armed swastika. Those animals, whatever they were, strange, weird, most of them small, less than a, less than a foot wide. 
those animals appear suddenly, abruptly. They have no connection to the Cambrian animals. Bad news for Darwinian evolution. And then they disappear. And if that's bad, you know, just just get ready for the GOBE, G-O-B-E, stands for the Great Ordovician Biodiversification Event. I bet you didn't know that, Nick. I didn't. Okay. <laughs> so G-O-B-E, Great Ordovician, that's the Ordovician era after the Cambrian, Biodiversification Event. I'll just read what they say here. Uh, well, general animal body plans representing the phyla and classes first appearing in the Cambrian explosion, uh, these uh, alongside those earlier uh, animals that suddenly appear, these new marine invertebrate groups greatly diversified at another level, like the, the level of new families. And it's just not one or two new families of creatures that appear. It's 300. Wow. 300 new families of animals appear suddenly in the Ordovician Biodiversification Event. That's the O-B-E. And then the G is just great. Well, I'd say with 300 families, it is a great yeah. diversification. Pretty big event. number. Yeah. So this, uh, this is the words that they use. This great explosive diversification of marine life has been called life's second Big Bang. <laughs> can you can you imagine what the first big bang was <laughs> first one's not bad for believers either yeah it means we had a beginning well yeah and, well the the biological big bang is the cambrian explosion yeah yeah so this is the second one yeah james o'donohue called it that and he mentioned that the ordovician explosion was every bit as momentous for animal evolution as the cambrian one wow yeah and of course they he's supposing evolution we would say hey wait a minute just what you just told us goes against evolution then comes the Devonian necton revolution. Are you ready for the necton? I'm ready. Sounds ne like necktie. Necktie, but this is not a necktie. It's a necton. N-E-K-T-O-N. You've heard of plankton, plankton, mm -hmm. and the, there's little animals that have no uh, locomotion. Yeah. They have no, no, no... Whales eat them. Yeah, whales eat them. But the, the necton, okay, are like an ecosystem, and they have actual... Uh, a ability to swim. They're actively swimming small animals. And these animals occurred uh, in which groups such as ammonoid cephalopods, that's a phrase I've never used in my life before, ammonoid cephalopods and jawed fish also make their first appearance. It says here in their description, within just 10 million years, such active swimmers increased from only 5% of all the animal life in the ocean to 75%. Wow. Five to seventy-five percent. It's an explosion. We're just getting warmed up. Are you ready for the odontode explosion? <laughs> What's the odontode explosion? <laughs> I can see it I on your face. I think I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> the term odontode explosion was coined by Fraser for the sudden appearance of vertebrate dentition, the ability of these uh, animals to have sets of beautifully designed teeth. Oh, wow. They don't phase in. They explode <laughs> suddenly onto the scene. Okay, in the late Silurian, early Devonian, all major groups of jawed fish with teeth and tooth-like structures appear abruptly in the fossil record. That's not just me. That's what it says in the literature. Mm -hmm. Let me repeat that. All major groups of jawed fish with teeth and tooth-like structures appear abruptly in the fossil record. Abruptly is a huge keyword there. It is. Now, there are actually several other major transitional events, which are really not a slow transition, but in the form of explosions in the fossil record chapter here in the Theistic Evolution Critique book. 
Uh, I mean, we've talked about the Avalon explosion. We've talked about the Gobi Ordovician biodiversification event, the Necton revolution, Odontode explosion. I mean, I could, if I had time, I could talk about the Silurio-Devonian radiation. Are you excited to hear about that? <laughs> yes. Okay. How about the Carboniferous insect explosion? Are you ready for Even that? More excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one more Triassic explosion. <laughs> yes. Okay. And in this chapter, they do the early Triassic terrestrial tetrapod radiation, another explosion. The early Triassic marine reptile radiation, another explosion. The mid-Triassic gliding reptile radiation, and I've left out another half dozen. The bottom line is this. We have plentiful, exploding tsunamis of evidence from the fossil record pointing to our being created. But we were created for a purpose, and we can achieve our whole fantastic purpose that God has set in knowing him personally. If you'd like to understand more about the plan of coming to know Christ personally, check us out. Uh, give us a shout at information at apologetics.org. See you back here next week in the Universe Next Week.